Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. Got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons of UTHDynasty.com, home to UTH Film Notes podcast, as well as Running Back Roundup, and a bunch of features like updating the trade calculator and rankings as applicable every single week of the regular season. And we are talking about some critical elements, some some players that... Uh, you may need to decide upon, uh, depending on what your team direction is. And we're getting sample size growing by the week. And amazing that we're already three weeks into the season. We are full rolling in mid-season mode. And uh, Katie, let's start out with someone that we've held patiently in, in some of our co-on leagues, someone that has been a super flex surprise uh, because he's largely been in his career outside of one great year, a QB2 type, not a QB2 type right now, which is Mr. Derek Carr, the Raiders are undefeated, and frankly, they're probably one of my top five offenses to watch. Just in terms of enjoyment level, you know, the fact that we see them use fullback, three tight end sets, we see them go spread, we see Peyton Barber, you know, come back, you know, always a favorite player of ours, you know, that he's bounced around a little bit, but found a home and found a big game this past week. So a number of of great elements of this offense. We're going to focus on on Derek Carr, but anything Raiders here, that he's QB6. I mean, we are talking about a legitimate impact player in terms of one quarterback or uh, Superflex right now. Yeah. Uh, it's that age, Chad. It's When you hit 29, 30 years old as a quarterback, that really is like the light switch for a lot of these guys. And Ryan Tannehill hit that same thing. Matt Ryan, same thing. A lot of quarterbacks that may have up and down struggles through their rookie season and then, you know, their first three, four, five years in the league, it seems to really start to level out at age 29, 30, where they just start to get real comfortable. They've put some good weapons around Derek Carr. They've believed in him. They've had many opportunities to either trade or pick somebody up in the draft and they haven't. And now, Everything's coming to fruition. And what I like the most about Derek Carr from a fantasy perspective, he's doing it in the air and not with his legs. So he's putting up QB1 numbers without that rushing upside, which means that he's going to elevate all of the weapons on his offense in fantasy as well. Brian Edwards, Darren Waller, Henry Ruggs, and so on. And that's what's neat, what I like about him. And I, I equate him to that same kind of resurgence that Ryan Tannehill has had, even though he's dropped off a little bit this year. It's that same type of, I guess, middle age push for a quarterback. 
Yeah, I, I'm certain a lot of the names you mentioned, and I always find it interesting that, like you said, later 20s, early 30s, I think it takes a while. Like some quarterbacks are rising Phoenix and they they just become a beacon. You know, Justin Herbert looks the part, right? I mean, he came in right away. That doesn't happen very often though. Patrick Mahomes, he starts to play, instant impact. Like that doesn't that's not the norm. And what I like about Derek Carr is what was it 12 to 24 months ago that it was like, "Ooh, is he going to get run out of town?" Because, yeah. you know, is he, is he not going to be a fit with John Gruden? And is he going to be out of there? And we're talking about a former MVP candidate. And we're talking about what, what I like is when you get, as you said, four, five plus seasons into the NFL, A, you've seen a lot. But B, if you are still a starter, and just because it hasn't maybe come through fantasy-wise to a high level by that point, I'm thinking about, I mean, we even had seasons with, hey, Tom Brady, right, for a while was not in a true, like, all the time, you know, top elite option. It really took three, four, five seasons. And then you also have guys like, say, Ben Roethlisberger, game manager for a little bit, or Matt Ryan. You know, some of these guys that were a little more QB2 or low QB1 for a while before it could be a, a number of circumstances. And, and I think with Carr, especially if you can be a starter for that long in the NFL and not get replaced, not go to, like you said, Tannehill needed to go to backup land and now resurface. Jameis Winston, same thing, second career arc. And I just think that if you are still starting in the NFL, you're still above baseline to that level that you're still getting opportunities later 20s and 30s, that means something. And it also means the perfect storm could happen. And I think we're looking at it right now. I went back because I was kind of curious about what did he have around him? Because it never really felt like the Raiders. You didn't think of like, oh, elite options around Derek Carr. They're really building things, building the offense around him. And last year, we had Darren Waller, obviously big season, but at wide receiver, you had Henry Ruggs, the rookie, didn't do a whole lot. Hunter Renfro, ah, this slow guy from Clemson. And then you had Nelson Aguilar, who was actually a revelation for them uh, in, in terms of reclaiming his own career. That's not great. When you look at wide receiver, that's not great. And then the year before that, Hunter Renfro again, Darren Waller, really his breakout season. Tyrell Williams, Foster Moreau was next in terms of yardage. So this is not good. And then I looked back. You know, he actually had Jordy Nelson as his leading receiver in 2018. That was the year they traded away Amari Cooper partway through the year. Darren Waller barely played. They had Jared Cook. That's still not great. And then his career year, you had Amari Cooper, his best season. And then you had Michael Crabtree. Michael Crabtree moving around a little, you know, moving teams, but he had a good year with Derek Carr in 2016. I would argue this is the best collection right here, right now. You're seeing Henry Ruggs. He can pop the top. You know, you have Darren Waller, still high, high level game. And you've got uh, Hunter Renfro, who really is becoming like a Cole Beasley type of, you can count on him. He's underrated and he's going to move the chains, but offers more upside than that. And then you've got Brian Edwards. All these guys are on pace for 1,000-yard seasons. All of them. They've got four legit guys. I went back to 2016. It's a different game, I know. But it was Crabtree, Cooper, and a bunch of what? Like, he's got four guys. And this is in addition to all the, the bit parts of, you know, Alex Engold and, you know, finding, you know, Foster Moreau having a play every other week, you know? So I really think this is his best situation yet. And the defense is coming along. This really is the perfect storm. And frankly... We shouldn't be surprised if this continues. 
him playing at a top 10 level should not be a surprise going forward. And we're seeing the full complement. He's got the arm strength, but I, the most fun is when I watch him throw the looper, like the, the, the Russell Wilson looper, that, that he throws the perfect arc and it comes right down in the breadbasket. And I, I really think that, like you said, he's doing it through the air, which is how you can win. Yes, you can win running around in the NFL, but you're protected in the pocket. And frankly, all the rules are set up for you to dominate as a pocket passer. If you can sit there, Tom Brady and, and, and a bunch of the other guys win from the pocket and you're, you have so many valuable tools that for you to do that in today's NFL means it's more sustainable than if you have an injury, if, if something happens and you, suddenly you're not running as much. Maybe you don't get the random three, four, five touchdowns on the ground. That's going to really have variance to your game, but be a diabolical passer that is a stabilizing force for your fantasy production. And they basically have this core built around him. I don't think it's changing and going anywhere. Yeah. It, Hunter Renfro right now is uh, fantasy wise, their wide receiver one. Yeah. And Derek Carr has had over 400 yards in the first week with two touchdowns, 382 and two touchdowns and 386 and two touchdowns. So very consistent numbers. I, his schedule is decent all the way through and he's got the weapons and he, like you said, he can air it out. He's got touch. He's got the whole package. And I think one reminder, because a lot of the trades, recent trades I'm seeing are trading him for like a future first round pick trading him in a first for Deshaun Watson, for example. Um, and, and a lot of it around the level of a first round pick. And I, I the, when I saw that earlier today, I first thought of you because you constantly say when you get a player right, or if you've had Derek Carr for two, three years, let's remember he was like, what, a second round startup pick way back when he had, you know, he was a young player and he flashed and that's what happens. Quarterbacks go that high when they flash and they're young, but you, you always say, why are you just going to bail somebody else out? They've got quarterback issues. They're a competitive team. Don't help out your, your competitors. You know, that, that you're contending, they're contending. Oh, let me get a first for this player. I'm, I'm selling high. Well, if you consider that a quarterback, well, I, I mean, you have three or four bullet points that I'm sure are, are spinning in your head right now. So, but, but the whole idea of just trading a known for a future pick that you hope becomes a known at some point, especially at a super flex premium position, that really can hurt your team. And part of the thing, Chad, people, they hold grudges against players for whatever reason. They have Rodney Dangerfield players that never get any respect. And it's almost like an owner thinks that Cinderella is at the ball and that any minute the clock is going to strike midnight and Prince is going to turn back into a pumpkin or something to that effect. And I wouldn't worry about that with Derek Carr. I would ride that wave, especially if you got him in a recent startup draft in the last couple of years, cheap, cheap. You know, I remember when Devontae Adams was left for dead and he was 13th round of a startup draft in, I think it was his third year, fourth year. And then he all of a sudden really started to take off. Some players, it does take a while. We did see flashes when he was younger, just like we saw flashes with Baker Mayfield. And I think that Baker Mayfield is going to be that same similar type of uh, quarterback where when he reaches 28, 29, 30, he's going to really start to come into his own. He's, he's decent now, 
but he had such a spike. A lot of the quarterbacks get that rookie spike. They spike too much too quick. And then people say that they're a bust because of the price attached. Right. And then they lose patience with quarterbacks. As I've said a hundred times, if not a hundred and one times in the past, you either want an older, less expensive veteran, or if you get the chance to get a young stud that's already established, like a Patrick Mahomes, a Josh Allen, you know, somebody that really looks the part and has done it more than just half a season, part of a season. Um, and, and that's the hard part about dynasty. It is hard for people to be patient. It is hard for people to think, oh, well, I'm going to sell high on Derek Carr now. And they think that a first is high because they got him so cheap. But as you mentioned, that's letting your league mate off the hook. And Derek Carr has escalated way beyond a first, especially in Superflex. He's not Cinderella. So if you do want to trade him, I would make it worth your while because even if you don't need him, even if he's your fifth quarterback and you feel like I've got extra and I'm going to sell high on him, make sure you sell high. Don't make it be a cheap transaction. Yeah, I think that's really, really important because you know we, we talk a lot about letting a team off the hook. We talk a lot about, uh, again, even if you're not contending, you still want to have quarterback covered when you're ready. And if you have to make a move, even if it's just 12 team, that you don't want to be in a position that, oh, well, now I need to find quarterback. You know, now my team is ready to go. That's sort of the NFL philosophy. You know, a lot of people were saying, Washington, oh, build your whole team and then just go get a quote unquote, just go get a quarterback. And I think at Superflex, it's the same sort of thing. And, you know, we had, we have a, a 14 team where it's like we've had Derek Carr for years. And I think, you also need to shift, you know, and have have a different line of thought between the level of production, like the actual brass tacks. What did they score? Comes down to more than just how good are they. There's more factors that go into it than just are they good or are they not? Because situation, supporting cast, and you give a player nothing. You know, a running back without an offensive line. You know, uh, a wide receiver without a quarterback. Um, or you know a, a pass catcher with a not very good quarterback, uh, though versus an elite one, those are major building block differences, and it has nothing to do with if you're good or bad. So I, I think that's an important thing of really dig into it. Where Derek Carr wasn't a poor quarterback, and I think that's where. And I, and to be fair, I think quarterback might be the easiest to digest on an annual basis in the sense of how good are they? Are they good enough? Are they good enough to say that they're going to get plenty of starting opportunities in the NFL? And then once they check that box, then say, who's undervalued because of situation or because of an age stink? Because 30 isn't old. 35 isn't old anymore for quarterback. And looking at a two to three year window, a 35-year-old has that. A 30-year-old definitely has that. And then paying triple the cost for a similar player that happens to be 25 is overzealous. That's just a mispriced part of the market that I think I've seen it for two off seasons that I've really been playing close attention and I don't see it changing. I see generally the market is going to say 25-year-old is way more important than 30-year-old at quarterback. And I would say 
stop looking at a 10-year window. <laughs> That's a little too long. We're playing Dynasty. It's technically forever, but that is a really long window to try to predict what's going to happen and all the ups and downs that occur annually. Yep. And I remember this offseason, I had a league mate in a super flex and it's a super flex best ball. So you don't even have to pick which quarterback to start. And if I'm coming off of a, of a, uh, not a redraft, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm losing my words, Chad, help me out. What do you call it when you got a dispersal draft? I was coming off a dispersal draft. So my team is still, you know, in the building stages and the guy had DJ Uyunglele, who in July was the top Debbie quarterback or one of the top Debbie quarterback. And I love DJ Uyunglele, but the guy, the owner wanted Derek Carr plus Isaiah Spiller plus something else for Uyunglele. And I was like, that's way, that's too much of an overpay. And the guy's like, whoa, but quarterbacks are so rare and this guy's so great. And it's like, well, I happen to think that Derek Carr is worth a lot more just on his own than a Debbie crapshoot, even if he's the top rated Debbie player. And, and that's the kind of decision that you constantly have to make as an owner. Sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. Thankfully, I was right to hold Derek Carr at that time. And now I get to reap the rewards. And, and that's awesome. But I've had many other situations, same type of thing, where Derek Carr hasn't had any offers. Nobody wants to come knocking. He's not a sexy pick. He's a very undervalued type of guy. And now he's finally putting it together. It's awesome. Yeah. That's found money. It's yeah, found and the, money. And the last point I would say is re, just reiterating the situational factor, which is stability in terms of the front office, the coach, and the fact that these weapons are not likely to erode or, or go away. You know, you've got a couple rookie contract guys, you've got Hunter Renfro, relatively young, and then you've got Darren Waller locked in. And I just think that, you know, there's a lot of positives for a team that, you know, they're just, it feels like they're doing it a different way. They may not have a true wide receiver one, you know, oh, we got, you know, one of the top guys in the game. You know, they're not doing it that way. They're doing it more in a, <laughs> I almost was best ball setting. You know, it's almost a, uh, a collection of pieces and that the the real value is in who's pulling the trigger playing smart and and just you know going a, a number of different directions so having to cover the whole field and all players at all times that in and of itself is a benefit so i just i don't think this is a fugazi i don't think this is a fluke we've seen Derek Carr play at a good level before and especially when you factor in how the team looks you say well he's playing well you know and he may not be Here's one thing I'll say. He, he may not be a lid lifter in terms of, oh, you can put him on any team. And there are quarter... I'm sure Patrick Mahomes, you could put him on the Jets and he would make the Jets a heck of a lot better. Not a lot of quarterbacks are like that. So is he in that strata? No, I don't think so. But if you give him a decent or better opportunity, I think he can absolutely elevate the weapons and run said system and support said weapons. So that would be the one differentiator that we don't have a lot of those guys in our in our life in our world so saying that you could go to any horrible team and they'll be like all of a sudden they'll make the team 500 like there there aren't many of those guys it may be less than 5 in the NFL that can actually do that and and that's okay if you're not one of those that doesn't mean you can't have top 6 top 10 seasons all right uh let's go to um another one here which is 
digging a little more into and having concerns now watching you know three games with, with UGH film notes and putting those out on Monday morning. And Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, I wanted to kind of talk about them together and talk about them as maybe a profile type. Uh, so let's start with Nick Chubb. He's got Kareem Hunt there, so it's a little bit different of a story uh, than Jonathan Taylor to some extent. It's a better offense uh, than, with what they're rolling out. But the idea of a running back where you have, say, receiving usage questions. Um, I don't want to lead the witness, uh, but, but just Nick Chubb, that type of profile being one of considered, you know, one of the better, if not in the top three or four in the entire NFL in terms of rushing or run in ball in your hands talent. And yet you're just not getting the usage to maybe unlock your ultimate upside with, uh, with the receiving game work. Yeah. I mean, we knew going in that Kareem Hunt was a very talented back and would get the receiving work and possibly some vulture, some goal line, So I didn't expect a lot from Nick Chubb in the passing game anyway. And they're both viable. They're both averaging 16 or more fantasy points per game. Nick Chubb's doing his, you know, he's getting a decent number of of carries, 15, 11, and 22, 83, 95, and 84 yards on the ground. And when he scores two touchdowns or one touchdown, he's very fantasy viable. Even when he doesn't score any touchdowns, 8.4, 10 points in that range. That's not going to lose you a week. And he does have the opportunity to win you a week when he scores a touchdown or two. Plus, not to mention, he is in his own right, a good receiver. They just don't like to use him that way because they split up the workload. But if Kareem Hunt were to miss any time and Nick Chubb did get a couple of receptions on top of his normal workload, then he's even more fantasy viable. So I never had expectations of Nick Chubb being just the only guy in town. When it comes to Jonathan Taylor, however, he's in a little bit more of a head-scratching position, and I think that's as much on the coaches as anything else. He's only averaging 10 fantasy points uh, per Game, Naheem Hines is averaging 12. So neither one of them are in the RB1 range. And if you look at Jonathan Taylor and his carries, he's gotten the opportunities. He's had 17, 15, and 10. But he's only rushing for 50 yards, 50 yards, 64 yards. Hasn't got any touchdowns. He had six, uh, seven targets in the first game, one target in the second game, and three targets in the third game. But he's really only getting one or two receptions each time he himself hasn't put it together. And again, I don't, I think that's part of the game script, part of the reactionary mid game type, but the usage is head scratching. I'm not overly concerned with Jonathan Taylor because I think the talent is there. And I think they've got right now uh, kind of a, going into a mid season, you know, weeks four through week nine, decent defenses to tee up against. So I'm not going to throw in the towel on Jonathan Taylor, but it is for sure a weird split in Indianapolis behind a really good offensive line that hasn't done a lot either. Yeah. I think more for me, it's frustration, you know, because I've seen uh, for cross sections of last year, uh, week one, we saw a lot of usage for Jonathan Taylor in terms of uh, getting targets. I mean, he had 
20 something percent of the team target share. And it's like they were peppering running backs. And, and the part for me is I always look at backfields and say, you know, and, and I thought this with uh, Antonio Gibson last year, you know, JD McKissick, where you say, okay, the number two running back, what is their profile? And if they're a receiving centric guy, then you should expect, okay, well, when they're in the game, what do they do best for their profile? It's not going to be the, the power carries. You know, it's going to be Naheem Hines is best just like, uh, you know, McKissick and some of these other guys that they're best in hurry up. They're best in, you know, as a, a, a satellite player. That's a, that's a term people used to use a lot more of someone just get them in space. And that's unfortunate, though, for whoever the lead back is with Jonathan Taylor. He's the type that it's frustrating because, you know, if you say, oh, well, they're a little bit of a buy low in terms of, you know, maybe talent or profile or whatever. He's coming off a successful rookie season and that really puts you on a success track long term, uh, you know, coming out of 21, 22 years old. But it just feels like it's going to be one of those down years. Quarterback has not worked uh, in terms of Carson Wentz is dinged up. I don't, you know, if he plays through it, whether he doesn't, the backup quarterbacks, this is not going well. The defense is one of those bend, but don't break, you know, which means you're going to break (laughs) in today's NFL. That's great. Make a bunch of tackles. That just means long drives. Um, So that's the part that's frustrating to me is that it feels like he's going to be that running back two type this year. uh, And he's going to be, I need a touchdown. I need a touchdown for a big game. And it feels like Nick Chubb is a better version of that. And like, I like what you said though, which is they're viable options. However, the ceiling, it, it gets unlocked when what occurs. It's when Kareem Hunt or Naheem Hines is out of the lineup. That's when you're going to see something that is truly explosive. It doesn't mean they won't have good games. That's not what it means. Chubb is running back 10, 12, somewhere in that range right now. Taylor's more you know, into the 20s. But what it means is they can do it. We've seen both of them in the screen game, in, you know, just swing passes. They can do it. It's just the usage where you say Kareem Hunt. Now, he's a little bit different story. He can do everything. We've seen him do it in Kansas City of being a 300-touch player. Um, but you say, what does he do best? It's going to be the hurry up stuff. It's going to be in the screen game. It's going to be that secondary role, you know, but spelling the starter. And so that's, a, it's just, to me, it's a frustrating short term. Is this going to change? And kind of going back to the trust the talent thing, right? I mean, because Chubb's actually getting about 40% of the routes, which is a pretty sturdy number. He's just not getting a lot of targets. It's going to be, it's Kareem Hunt that's been getting more targets when he's been in there for receiving work. So that's the frustrating thing. It's not a skill level thing. It's not that we haven't seen it thing. It's just a, they're a 1A of a good committee. And the other guy happens to be used in more of a receiving centric fashion. Yeah. And the other thing is game script wise, they've been behind in all three games that they've played so far. And when you get behind and there's, the quarterback play is sloppy at, at best, and you don't have any continuity. Running backs really need to get in the game and get a momentum going, and the game script hasn't supported that either. But they do have a midseason schedule that looks to be better. I mean, certainly I wouldn't be selling low on either one of the guys. I'm not concerned long-term. It's the kind of thing that dynasty owners, you just got to have other options and work, work through. That's, and that's it, yeah. and, and it's not really like a damning thing, big picture to say, 
all right, let's look at the matchups, you know, and, and if that's a certain week and you're like, uh, this, you know, they're, they're touchdown, they're touchdown underdogs. You're like, this game script could go sideways. I know they could use Naheem Hines more, you know, and, and benching Jonathan Taylor or any running back where you say, I know that if things go sideways and it turns into a, a, a passing game, then there's trouble. There's potential here. That they get 10 touches for 50 yards and no touchdowns and that's it. You know, there's a chance of that of single digits. And that's okay. But I think, you know, the thing that you are always to me because I am, you know, in terms of the thing of how, kind of how you have to be as an analyst, I have to have takes and reactions and all that to these micro things. And you are very much a you know, in the teams we have together, our discussions over the years, you are very much like an Aaron Rodgers, relax. Like everything is, <laughs> you know, like you say, you don't have to press, you know, press the button about trades. You know, you like, if you like your team, you like the profiles, you like these players, you don't have to run away and be like, oh, well, right now, you know, you can still get XYZ for Jonathan Taylor. So you should try to make a move, you know, or let's try to pivot to this other running back that might be a little better this season. Like it's a very much a macro approach with you where you get players you like, you stick with it. Why rock the boat? You know, like it's about situational trading and opportunities more so than playing a dynamic game of the marketplace of what will it yield this week and next week it might be less. And it's like you are very much a stabilizing, it's okay. Like if if we choose to start somebody else else this week, it's okay. And it doesn't mean we don't like you as a player. <laughs> that sort of mentality of like, just because you're not an auto start and you were an auto start, that's okay. And later this season, next season, it might be, there's no chance we're pulling player XYZ out of the lineup, even if we are thinking that now. Yeah. I mean, the whole fun of Dynasty is building a core that you understand may not be auto starts all the time, but you're going to have the highs and the lows. And your job as a manager is to have a strong enough portfolio so that on any given Sunday, you can sub out a player who has a horrible matchup, even though normally, you you know, you think don't sit your studs. If a stud is going through either game script or maybe battling an injury or whatever the, whatever the case may be, you have to make your best judgment and go with someone else and names like Hunter Renfro, for example, not the sexiest name out there, but he's been pretty solid three straight games in a row. And you may have to rely on a, on a lesser named player to get you through. That's what managing a fantasy team is all about. And it's managing, not necessarily just selling low on a guy that has a slow start. That's where you're going to, more than likely sink your boat. It whiplashes around. Cause we just said, I mean, what if Heinz gets a pulled hammy, you know, next week and he's going to be out six weeks, like <laughs> all of a sudden the calculus, a lot of the things that we're, we're saying aren't, aren't optimal right now. Things look a whole lot better. There's talk, not that Marlon Mack was a feature element of the, of the depth chart or anything, but there's rumor he might be traded. You know, he was inactive this past week, keep him healthy. And he might be traded for a late round conditional pick or something. Um, one depth chart that, that I was also thinking about strange usage or just, this has been a strange year. 
is the Philadelphia Eagles. I was watching that game on Monday night, and their defense is a whole separate issue. They couldn't stop them. Dallas is a big-time offense. I get all that. But Miles Sanders has been a ghost. And I actually like he, he might be one of the running backs where I the last two, three years or just his career, I've said, I think he's a really good player. But he has not gotten the love in terms of like being a true feature back. I think he's a dynamic receiver. I think he can be a 15, 18 plus touch player. And he's just not treated that way. And on mo- on, mo- on Monday night, they just they go into, oh, Jalen Hurts, you're like uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Let's just have everything pin on you. Let's just have you dropping back uh, on, on, what was it, 90% of snaps? Or, I mean, it felt like they just did not run the ball. Do you have any like inkling of, is this just a toxic situation where who knows and we're going to get to 2022 and things are going to change and say, boy, that was fun and interesting? Or, I mean, because I think they have a lot of good players. I just, on offense, they have good players and it just seems like it's a bunch of nothing fantasy-wise. Well, it, it starts with the quarterback. And I hate to sound like a broken record, but a running quarterback can elevate the running game overall because teams are concerned about the quarterback running, so they give more room for the running backs. That hasn't been that situation in Philly because, for the most part, they're running for their lives and they're playing from behind. Jalen Hurts is not an accurate passer. He had, he was 64% last night with two interceptions. The week before, he was in the 50s. I think it was 52% pass completion. Yeah, week one, he was in the 70s, but he also, uh, you know, it, it faced one of the easiest defenses out there. So I don't see Jalen Hurts as the kind of quarterback that can elevate his receiver's with his inaccuracies, you know, some people say, yeah, well, it's not all his fault. That's true. It's not all his fault, but it's not going to get any better in the middle of a season. Right. It has to happen in the off season. And obviously that didn't happen. And to say, and to say they haven't, I mean, they've got two, two good tight ends. I'm more in the Zach Ertz can play camp than the, than the he's done camp um and they they spent two first round picks on wide receivers two in successive years it feel and and again miles sanders they got kenny gainwell as a receiving centric guy from day three they have put things around him and like what you're saying i've always kind of felt with jalen hurts he was going to be fantasy productive this year but that doesn't mean the job security factor and 2022 is a given any of these things and i'll just say this for jalen hurts's job security next year he better start winning some games because the higher they are in the draft, the more likely they're going to go for his replacement. So the only like the saving his job means they need to like push for the playoffs and be out in the teens point blank because otherwise, Oh man, <laughs> like it's so I just feel like, and you're kind of saying what, what I was thinking, which is there's a lot of stuff going on. And unfortunately for miles Sanders, again, I, I just, he might be that type where when he gets out of Philadelphia, he, he gets gets signed to be a starting running back somewhere, and he ends up having at 25, 26 years old, his best season yet because he finally got freed from a situation or a team or a franchise that did not really appreciate what he could do. 
because I remember him at Penn State. I mean, yes, he followed Saquon Barkley. He and, and I think actually Barkley passed him, right? Or did he actually got there a little after Barkley? And Barkley was already entrenched at that point. But he was a five star guy. He finally had, I think, one season in the sun at the end. But guy can play. Guy can play. And he went higher in the draft than a lot of people were expecting. And I just, it's been mucking through mud so far in terms of getting like a top 12 season out of Miles Sanders. And I think it's in him. So it's just, he's going to be an interesting one after a few more weeks of like not getting usage. He's actually one that I think could be a profile by when we get down into the doldrums of October, November. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know that Miles Sanders owners have got to be frustrated. He's unstartable. Is he unstartable? I mean, do you have to have tremendous pause putting him in your lineup? Well, with all the injuries that we've had to running back, I'd still rather have a Miles Sanders in my lineup than a Tyson Williams or somebody else. Um, even more, I'd, I'd rather have him in my lineup over Mike Davis. But if you've got DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, and Nick Chubb, those guys would be starting and Miles would be on my bench. Because some of these matchups, I mean, any matchup you figure the Eagles go past centric and they could trail big, I mean, that's a, you have a risk of sub five points. Like, or he needs to catch three balls and maybe break one because they're playing Kansas City, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Raiders. I mean, this is a tough slate coming up. I mean, we could see more of this and one or two more games of this. I have to think Miles Sanders is going to be pretty affordable. I'm looking at some of the recent trades. I mean, now, I mean, I don't think you should have to give a future first for Miles Sanders. I I would, I'm always searching for a different way and a better deal. Um, But I would just let this continue to build because you might be able to give a second and a player that's not a core guy for Miles Sanders coming up with a, with a few more of these games. I, I think that's I just agree. a given in the market. So like a lot of times, I always like trying to play this out storyline-wise of like, yeah, I mean, this is a buy player, but is this going to be the best buy time? Like playing this out and saying, you just give something more time and sometimes the deals and the edgy owners just get more exacerbated in your, in your league. I would wait until after week six because... Week five, the number one defense of the Panthers, they've got the number one rush yeah. defense. And then num- at week six, the number four rush defense of the Buccaneers. Yeah. And they play the Chiefs next week. So they should be, the Chiefs should be coming out hot after two losses or oh, yeah. a loss and a comeback or whatever. Stop screwing around for 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So playing it close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after that gauntlet, that's when I'd be looking to buy because I think by then Miles Sanders owners will have their hair pulled completely out of their skull and it's getting closer, you know, to mid season when it's not quite the witching hour and you have to make a decision whether your team's going to make the playoffs or whether you've got to rebuild or whatever. But I, I find the prices go down as the season goes on when a team has to finally face facts of what their team really is for this year. Okay. Uh, before we get to the UTH best ball contest uh, for the week uh, over there at myfantasyleague.com, uh, what are your final thoughts, Katie, in terms of, we only talked about two or three different things, uh, but what is on your dynasty mind? Just in general, as far as I've said, patience, patience, and I know it's hard to do, but whether it's Debbie or whether it's NFL, a lot of these young guys, your rookies, rookie quarterbacks, college quarterbacks that have now taken on the full role. 
I just saw DJ Uyunglele traded for pennies on the dollar. And yes, he's struggling. Yes, there are times when he doesn't look good, but his whole team in general doesn't look good. If you look at what he can do and what he does at times with his arm, you know, moving out of the pocket, getting a little extra time, and then slinging that ball downfield on a dime, that trait is still there. The DJ Uyunglele that we saw from last year when there was no pressure, the, the talent is there. And there have been a lot of quarterbacks that struggle their sophomore year in college or the first time they take over a team. And it's the same thing in the NFL. Trevor Lawrence, you know, everybody's ragging on him and bagging on him because he's a generational talent. And right now he stinks and he's thrown more interceptions than he has touchdowns. And what the heck is going on? I Troy Aikman stunk in his first year, too. There are a lot of quarterbacks that don't come out the gate hot. And Zach Wilson is stinking right now. And even Justin Fields and the way that Nagy is game scripting, there's a lot of head scratching. It's a lot of different reasons. But if you can be patient and you can buy when these guys' owners are frustrated and you get that discount, man, that's what I'm looking to do all day. And I would buy any of those rookie quarterbacks. I, I believe that they will times will get better and they will start to show why they were drafted where they were drafted. Yeah. Many of their situations, not ideal. This is not your Ben Roethlisberger and go into a, a playoff team type situation of being able to have a run game and, you know, a strong defense and sit there and you can just, you know, ball control your way to a winning season, you know, and then you can expand things as you go. This is not those those environments, and you're being thrown to the wolves and asked to pass a lot and play in catch up mode. Defense might not be helping you. Yeah, I totally agree that that secondary market of someone pays the sticker price on the new car and you go used car shopping. You know, but they're still, you know, what do they call it? Uh, they call it uh, pre-owned, right? Pre-owned is the fancy <laughs> word for, oh, it's gonna be low miles. We're gonna make sure it's a clean car. You know, and, and and all this type of stuff where it's like, but someone else paid the premium sticker off the lot, and it's like, oh, well, we didn't like it. It wasn't really wasn't for us. And now you can swoop in, and you're paying a, a completely different price scope than uh, those that line up at 103 in their Superflex rookie draft uh, the year before. Even I uh, do want to highlight over the best ball contest out in week three. We had Greg Vacek. Uh, he ends up winning uh, for the week. Uh, close, close vote with, uh, I love the hip, hip, Jorge um, uh, team name there. But uh, but for Greg, uh, finishing at the top of the heap, and Derek Carr talked about him this week. He also benefited with Antonio Gibson having that long screen pass. How about we get more of that, Washington? More of Antonio Gibson uh, as a receiver in college. Get him used in the passing game. Uh, Swift, he's been a monster so far this season. And uh, he had Tyler Conklin. He was pretty cheap in the contest. He goes for 27 points. And good to see Zach Ertz back and moving, having uh, 453 and a touchdown also for this past week. And he's got Darren Waller, even though Darren Waller for a, a week or two has not been doing dominant things. Uh, but he didn't have, he doesn't have the deepest lineup, uh, deepest roster that he built. And he was without Antonio Brown, uh, Julio Jones. Wow. What a question mark. Julio Jones, uh, the start to the season he's had Hunter Henry, John U. Smith. He paired up new England guys that he didn't use this past week. So good on Greg for taking it down for the contest in general. And we got Jordan McNamara, uh, one of our own here with, uh, with the top gets back 
back to the top spot. And we got Mike E and Cameron also in the top three. Big, big competition uh, for the contest going through. And again, it goes all the way through now week 17. So plenty of time left to get the best ball contest finish that everyone thinks that they deserve. All right. Uh, for UTHDynasty.com, also supported over at patreon.com slash UTH. Mentioned a lot of the content I'm doing. I'm front-loading it this season with running back roundup is out on Mondays. The film notes, thanks Game Pass for making my life harder. But that is out uh, first thing Monday mornings every single week. Every play of every game. You didn't watch it. You watched three or four games. That's okay. I got you covered for all 14 through Sunday night. Don't worry about it. And I've been doing a, a separate show on Fridays. So you get the Thursday night game in a separate contained show. And that drives just all the content and all the adjustments. Because like I, I, like I say, I want to watch it. I want to dive into the numbers. I want to put everything together for a complete picture of player value and have a sense of what's going on in the NFL. Plus college. I Actually, Katie and I probably should do at some point, we'll do either a, 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 a draft for 2022 coming up. We'll maybe talk some Debbie, do a Debbie show at some point. You know, mid-college season, I think that's always a good point. But I do these little shows where it's like, what did I watch? And I'll talk about two or three teams over the course of the weekend. But uh, college is tough when you're focusing on the NFL this time of year. So for Katie Flower, between episodes, you can find her resources on Twitter at FF underscore Skylar399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. 